Today's show is brought to you by Cotswolds Outdoor, Cross Bikes, Garmin and Cumulus. Hello and welcome to We Need More Heroes. In the age of Donald Trump as president and Kim Kardashian a role model for millions, it's easy to lose hope. But there are still brilliant people out there who can inspire us to live better. Join me, George Beasley, on a mission around the globe to find them. We Need More Heroes aims to inspire and guide ordinary people to live extraordinary lives. Visit weneedmoreheroes.co for show notes and more info. If you enjoy the episode, please leave us a review and rating on iTunes and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. Thanks for listening. So I'm here at my office in London recording today's episode. I've snuck off to a little booth so it looks like I'm doing something work related. The company I'm working for is an enormous, beastly financial services firm with over 40,000 employees in 70 countries. The impressive job titles and fancy suits are often the stuff of envy from people on the outside, but actually almost no one I've asked here likes their job and even fewer of them love their job. It seems like a perfect place to contrast those trapped by security, money and prestige with the journey of today's guest, who's taken a leap of faith to create a life he loves and make his passion his work. Our guest is an extreme endurance adventurer, potentially the coolest job title in the world. He's done an incredible amount of cool shit. In 2016, for example, the Discovery Channel followed him as he completed the world's longest triathlon, covering over 4,000 miles around the edge of mainland Britain. He's written a number of books, speaks at loads of events and never fails to inspire. He's adventure through and through and has followed his passion to build a life he loves. The perfect guest for We Need More Heroes. Without further ado, I give you Sean, the King of the Beard, Conway. Hello, good morning. How's it going? It is going great, thank you. A very good start to a Monday morning. Having a podcast with you is much better than getting open my normal spreadsheets and doing boring finance stuff. Well, likewise, mate. I would have been busting my ass up a big hill on the bicycle this morning, so you've given me a a much-needed recovery break, so thank you. So, Sean, to get the juices flowing, I like to ask three little instant response questions. So first thing that comes to mind, but you've got to be fast, okay? Okay, well, here goes. Okay, so first one, Batman or Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Why? Because I had a Spider-Man suit when I was a kid, and I used to climb loads of trees. Number two, what did you want to be growing up? (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. Why did I even ask? I I swear, that's not even a joke. I kind of loved climbing trees and everything. How weird is that? Um, (laughs) It was that or an environmental lawyer, believe it or not. Yeah. So I I do have a third question in this, but I can sort of guess where this is going. Uh, If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, no, actually, mine would be invisibility, definitely. I I don't know. I like people watching. I like being a wallflower. Um, I like sort of being sort of under the radar when I can because, yeah, that's why I live in a a forest in Cumbria in a woodland. And, yeah, I kind of like the idea of being invisible. That'd be kind of cool. So you, you're living in Cumbria. What was behind the, the move to get up there? Well, I was racing uh, the Route 66 bike race in America in October last year. And at our 
23, I was leading after having cycled 380 miles in that, that first 24 hours. And I was in the lead. It was kind of flat and I was doing well. I was feeling good. I went on to hour 40, had a sleep, got overtaken. I was then down in third and then hit the hills of Missouri. So at sort of mile 600, halfway through day two, I just couldn't keep up the pace. And these the one and two were sort of pulling away from me sort of every hour they were probably you know half a mile further ahead of me on the hills and I was just getting pretty frustrated and then at the end of day two I had a slightly short day two because I had a couple of 45 minute naps I'd only done 260 mile I think I injured my my knee my quad because I was just stomping my I, my style was all over the place and I was just quadding it you know stomp up the hills and I pulled my sort of tendon between my quad and my um my knee and I tried to push on for another 300 miles but dropped back down to sort of fifth place and then realized I was actually just doing myself more injury and then annoyingly I looked on the map and I was 150 miles from anywhere I was in the middle of Texas so I had to cycle for two days with one leg just to get to the nearest airport which was Amarillo I kind of flew home and I was I got back to my boat. I lived on a boat on the River Severn near Worcester. And um, I just realized I needed hills in my life if I was going to be able to compete in some of these long ultra cycle races because, you know, the Midlands and certainly around Worcester is just dead flat, really. So the spur of the moment, I went online and looked for a flat to rent up in uh, Cumbria. And five days later, I, I moved in temporarily just to do some training and write my books. And... I moved here and loved it, and now I'm here. Awesome. We actually, so I live on the on the Seven as well in Shrewsbury. So what what were you doing in Worcester? Well, that's where I bought my boat. I bought my old. I bought an old World War Two gunboat on on eBay four, <laughs> four years ago now. Wow. And um, it was near Worcester, just down on the Seven, and that's where I bought it, and that's where it stayed, and I fixed it up. Spent three years fixing it up, and yeah, that's where I lived for for three years. How did the idea of World War Two boat come around oh, i love the water mate like i just I, I need water in my life which is why i moved to the lake district as well and uh i've always fancied the idea of boat life but didn't want a canal boat and i wanted something wooden i love sort of old wood wooden things anything you know sculptures uh furniture anything made out of wood i, I you know i really love it and uh <laughs> it just was the perfect fit for me you know it's got war, war history which is great. It's an old RAF boat built by Harland and Wolf, the guys who built the Titanic, which is a bit worrying, but hey-ho. And um, yeah, no, it's, I just fancy boat life. Boat life's amazing. It, it simplifies your life. You don't collect loads of clutter you don't need. You appreciate your sort of resources and things like that. And uh, and you know what? You kind of spend less time at home when you live on a boat, which I like. It kind of forces you to go out and explore and spend time outdoors and things like that. So yeah, I love it. Did, um, have you retained the, the minimalist ethic after getting off, off there? Now you don't live on a boat anymore, but did you sort of like learn the value of that? And now you manage not to collect loads of shit? Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't buy stuff just for the sake of it. I don't own a telly. I literally don't even have one. You know, everyone has their little vices, you know, I, I love tinkering with Land Rovers. I love. I grew up with Land Rovers in Africa, so I have a 
they're kind of my hobby. So I got a new twisted Land Rover, but I also have a couple of really old ones, which are pretty much falling apart. And I kind of tinker with them. And I have to say, that's the one thing I missed living on a boat is not having a garage to just do my hobby, you know, and I, I enjoy I make knives as well. And, you know, having all those tools uh, in a garage, you know, on land is nice, but I still don't, you know, buy stuff really. But I have to say, it is nice having a garage. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep wanting to get onto the main main part of the interview, but I can't. Every time you say something, I'm like, what? How did you get into a World War II boat? And then you just mentioned knife building. How did you get into that? My kitchen knife, I, have a, I had a big sort of cutting, chopping, you know, axe knife in the kitchen. It, it broke, the handle broke. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go and buy another one. But they, it was quite a heavy duty one and it was, they're quite hard to find. Um, and then I suddenly thought, oh, I wonder if I could just make one out of some steel or something. So I went online and oh, the knife making industry is huge. You know, there's amazing people creating works of art, you know, in their garage all around the world now with through social media. It's great. Social media is bringing back all these crafts, you know, which is great. I thought, yeah, so I just bought a sheet of steel, went and got a hacksaw and, and some files um, worked out how to do it. I've literally next to my computer here as we speak, I've got a vice grip on my, on my desk. Uh, so I do, do some writing and then I cut a bit of metal off the, off the piece of steel and then, you know, sand it down and try and sharpen it and, and all that. And then, yeah, I've got a fireplace in my, in my office, which I then use to temper the steel. So I just throw it in the fire for about half an hour and then it's tempered and hardened. And the coolest thing is when I was redoing my boat, I had, there's loads of little bits of wood, little bits of mahogany and, and some teak and some oak that I took off the boat, which uh, I just kind of kept for, to be honest, it probably was going to land up as firewood, sadly, but actually I'm glad I kept it because I'm now using it all for the handles for, for my knives. So it's kind of cool that I'm, I've got, 85-year-old bits of this old boat that I wasn't using that are now being repurposed for for my knife handles, which is pretty cool. The manliest pastime of all time. <laughs> I, I make knives. And now I have this image of you just sort of like putting a knife together, looking over at your wood-burning stove, and you've got like an old-school pipe, and you're in a rocking chair with like a tweed hat on. <laughs> Mate, I'm all the cliches. I'm all of the... <laughs> Yeah, that's me. So let's let's just backtrack a little bit. This series is um, is all, all about adventurers. And I'm always interested to hear how people respond to the ubiquitous question of when somebody asks you, so, so Sean, what do you what do you do? Oh, she's that's a tough one, you know, because it's, it's a weird kind of philosophy. It's quite a, it's quite a British thing. Like what, you know, so what do you do? You, a lot of other countries in the world People don't ask you that question. They kind of just go like, how are you? Or what's new with you? Or, you know, what you're up to? Like, it's, it's really, I find it really fascinating that it's almost the first thing people say when you haven't, when you just meet someone new in a social situation. Um, but I get, you know, you've you got to answer it. So <laughs> I kind of, I kind of say I'm a, I'm an endurance athlete. I, I consider myself more on the athletic side of adventure than the exploration so you know you get people who go and walk through the jungle and 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 explore and they probably discover some things and uh and then there's people like me who try and break records so i'm all about the three f's for me fastest first and furthest i i'm more of an athlete i i think than an, an adventurer but people kind of don't really understand what i mean when i say that so i kind of just say endurance adventure athlete or endurance adventurer 
Um, people kind of understand what that means when I say it, unless unless it's a really boring party, and then I say I'm an accountant. <laughs> so I, I generally go with, I, I you know triathlete as well, people like endurance triathlete. Um, I guess what I've been doing for the last four years is, is long triathlons. So um, yeah, anything in the in the sports field, uh, non-professional sportsman, I guess. <laughs> and uh, what what does a typical day look like for you? Um, I don't have a typical day and, and that's purposeful. I, I'm not very, very good with routine. I, I find it makes me really uncreative. Um, and I get a bit bored if I'm doing the same thing over and over. Uh, so it depends I, my year. I divide my year up. I sort of look at the calendar and I go, right, well, I'm going to probably spend this time writing. Um, I'm planning for, for an adventure. So I'll do some prep work here and I'll do some training here. Then I'll do the adventure here. Then I'll get back and I'll plan a, a speaking tour and then, and then get back onto the writing. So there's kind of like a, an 18 month process really that I quite enjoy. And it, it starts off with writing the last adventure when you finish and ends with doing the next adventure. And, and that's what I like, but you know, outside of the day to day logistics of being a non-professional athlete i i try and spend as much time outdoors as possible you know i i feel better when i go and spend some time outside but otherwise you know i'm either walking up a hill going for a swim i'm a bit of a jack of all trades master of none so i try and do as many different type of activities as i can i quite enjoy trying to learn different things and then yeah just keeping busy and you know i try and get up quite early i try and get up at sort of six in the morning and because I don't have a TV, I'm in bed at sort of 9.30, 10 at night and trying to make the most of the daylight hours. It's kind of one of the reasons I do this this job in inverted commas is is to have variety, which which I enjoy. Do, do you think that the, the jack of all trade thing, do you see that as a strength? For me, it's a strength, but everyone's individual. You know, some people, you know, hate the idea of, of just being average at loads of things. They want to be amazing at one thing. And 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 don't get me wrong, you know, some things I do want to be the you know really good at. Endurance cycling is probably the one aspect where I really think and believe I can be one of one of the best. I I guess if I put my mind to it, which I'm maybe going to try and do this year. <laughs> I like to learn how to make knives, and I like to learn how to make ale and whiskey and make biltong and and mountain bike and ski and snowboard and you know I'm never going to be the best at, at any of them but at the moment I'm kind of okay with that I'm kind of okay with with learning it and, and enjoying the process like and I, I used to be I used to do painting and drawings as well but and you know I really wasn't that bothered about the results I kind of just enjoyed learning how to paint and draw and the process and then when I'd finished with it I'd just be like oh that's all right I've thrown it in the attic for some things you know don't get me wrong thing things like yeah, I still want to do the fastest, the first, and the furthest, and and that is then pushing it to to the limit. But outside of of that side of things, I quite enjoy just variety, really. I was asking because I think I'm also in a similar boat. I was never really exceptional at anything, but I could do most things quite well and love to learn in the same way as you did. But it used to frustrate me so much when we were younger. I guess because you're constantly involved in more competitive things when you're at school there's just always competition I did a lot of sports and I was always 
quite good at them, but never the best. And it used to piss me off. And now I think I have reframed that in that I don't always judge something by how well I do in it. It's a bit like you just mentioned, it's it's how much I enjoy it as well. So I don't have to do something just to be the best at it. It's really nice to just learn a new skill and then sort of move on to the next one. Well, exactly. And, and then, you know, that that's it works for some people. It doesn't work for, for other people. You know, I don't think there's no right or wrong in it. And, and you can change your mind, you know, you know, this year I'm focusing on, on endurance cycling and I happily admit I want to be the best for that coming second. And when I do my races, when I try and break my records, you know, I'm, I am striving for the best in those things. And But some things, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to kind of just enjoy the process. It, it, you know, it depends on what I've realized actually a lot in the last few years is it's, it's okay to be to have moods as well. You know, that's completely okay. Your attitude seems generally to lie quite relaxed, you're quite laissez-faire, you don't like the routine. But I'm interested in how that feeds into your training for endurance cycling, because a lot of people, especially now with the advances in training and sports science and all of, all of that kind of stuff, can require a lot of rigidity and, and I guess the, the, maybe the opposite approach. So do you, are you still really relaxed in the way that you approach that? Do you just sort of go with how you feel or do you get a big structured program, go to the best? sports scientists and then just nail that um no i i I have a completely different approach to the the racing and record side of things records are getting harder and harder to break people have you may have heard people throw around the term marginal gains uh a lot uh, and people understand what that means the difference between winning and losing an ultra cycling event could be sort of you know one or two miles a day uh, more you know on these long on these long rides when People are doing 200, 240 miles a day. One or two miles is the difference between winning and losing. And and when when leg hair costs you 25 seconds per 25 miles, put that over over 250 miles, you're losing a couple of minutes. You know that's a few hundred meters. So there is that uh, that element of it. So I actually do do really take training quite seriously because I have to. There's you can't put in those big miles and you you speak to all the ultra guys you know all the ultra runners you know the guys are doing the 100 mile rate runs and things like that and more there are no shortcuts you can't wing it so i work closely now with the university of central lancaster dr howard is my doctor shout out to dr howard yeah he knows the stuff you know i do all my power tests my sweat rate salt loss um heart rate everything i go and, and and sort of do a monthly test with him. This is just in training. I don't do it all, all the time. So uh, I'm there again. When am I there next week? Yeah, I'm there next week. And uh, just to, to do an update on, on my power and, and things and uh, just to see where I am. Lactic acid threshold is an important one for me. I want to be able to recover. And if you push it too hard, your recovery is longer. So there's a lot of science behind it. Nutrition, aerodynamics, everything, you know, that, that side of things I do really have to take quite seriously. I'm just interested to hear what the prevailing wisdom is or, or maybe what your what your thoughts on it, because for training for super long distance ultras, it used to be people would just run forever and uh, try and run really, really long distances. And then the CrossFit guys uh, all started doing that ultras, but doing very short, intensive work. You tend to find things go back and forth in almost all fields. So bodybuilding, for example, people used to eat no fat diets, then the ketogenic diet came around, then you get somewhere in the middle. So where where are we in like the pinnacle of training? What's the, what's the prevailing wisdom or what do you go by now? You know what, there's so many conflicting things. <laughs> 
at the moment for for sport i think it, it what works for you you've got to try different things you know there's the whole paleo thing that people are doing now that the, the the high fat low carb thing yes that works for certain blood types you know it, it doesn't work for other blood types you you know you got to you got to try it out i i'm a, just a big fan of eating natural food if you can pick it out the ground off a tree or, or catch it and eat it, then that's kind of where I stand. Uh, except I'll, I'll have rice and, and, and pasta probably um, because, you know, there's still a, a process to create that. But, you know, I think if you're just eating healthy and eating well, that's fine on, on the nutrition side. Training side, for, for the ultra stuff, you can't, you can't get away with hit sessions. It's impossible. The, the top end like sprinting cyclists, the, the track cyclists like Chris Hoy and stuff, they would probably struggle doing a 250 mile ride. Um, they've got the different muscle makeup and, you know, they're doing high intensity, big cardio, you know, their VO2 maxes, their power to rate. I think Chris Hoy's power to weight ratio is something like 25 watts per kg. Chris Froome's is only 6.7, you know, so it's very different exercising and different programs will create a different type of efficiency, you know, and from my experience, there's no shortcuts for the ultra stuff, you know, and the runners will tell you like the guys, if you're doing a race, I've been told reliably, uh, I'm not, not a particularly good runner. So, but I've been told that, you know, you can, if you're doing a a race, that's less than a hundred K, you can probably get by without injury on, on, you know, some good hit sessions and some CrossFit and various other things. But, but the guys tell me that, you know, as soon as you, you're doing the hundred milers and so on, you've got to do the hours. You just, you, it takes years to build up those, those tendons and those strengths. And, but once you got them, they stay with you, you know, like I cycled around the world fairly quickly, not, not the fastest by any means, uh, in 2012. And, you know, I'm probably still benefiting now from some of the, the strength and resilience I got from, from that ride, which is why you never see a 20-year-old winning ultras, you know? Just even though their cardio will be amazing, their muscle responses will be, will be incredible, their recovery will be super, super good. You know, the, the guys who are winning ultras are in their, you know, mid-30s, late-30s, early-40s sometimes now even, because it takes time. It takes time to build up that endurance, you know? And so... For me, there's no other shortcuts. You put the hours in, you put the mileage in. At the moment, I'm I'm doing a training block, and I'm in, in sort of three months away from my next challenge. And uh, I will. I'm trying to do 350 miles a week at the moment, uh, and I'm looking to step that up to about 700, 750 in the next sort of month and a half. So, you know, you just for me personally, for the ultra stuff, you you. It, just got to put in the hours uh, and the miles. Mileage, mileage makes champions. You you mentioned that you do the sort of athletic side as opposed to just exploration or adventure. So what what is it that you think? What's your strength in in athletics, and why why do you think you're good at it? I don't know. I, I I'm not sure. I I kind of I get good after two weeks. I've worked out. Like if you put me in a a, a race or an event that's two weeks or more, I kind of get into my groove after two weeks. Really. I don't know what it is. I, I've realized I'm good at it. Biologically, I'm I'm suited. I'm quite light. I weigh, my race weight's about 67, 66 kgs, uh, which is pretty good. I, I sort of recover fairly quickly. I So I, I think there's a bit of biology in there, you know, a bit of luck. Thanks, mum and dad. Um, 
you know, I've been doing this for six years now. So although that's not that long, it's a lot of, you know, I've got a lot of miles under my belt. Uh, I think I tried to work out the other day on the bicycle how many sort of adventure miles I've got. And it's near 50,000, I think. And that's just adventure miles. That's not not training miles. Um, That's just going off. And, you know, a big chunk of that was cycling around the world, to be fair. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) that'll do it. That'll be a big chunk, but still, you know, that also helps in, you know, where I am now is, is, is just that experience of, you know, when you've got a knee, a knee niggle, you kind of know, you know, this is not an injury. This is just a tight abductor or, or, or glute or something, you know. It's, it's becoming more and more popular, these type of ultra endurance events, we just didn't really have any of them or certainly not as many of them uh, 20, 30 years ago. But for somebody who's thinking about getting into it, but they haven't done a big event yet or, or don't know that much about training for it, what advice would you give and what resources do you think are great for a noob to uh, ultras? So depending, you know, whatever your discipline is, so whether it's cycling, you know, running, skiing, cross country, skiing, whatever it is, you f- first you choose your discipline. So let's say you want to do do running. I always say at the beginning, don't don't think about the the technical side don't don't even take a heart rate monitor or or anything you know don't strava it just go out and do what you want to do because of the love of it you know fall in love with the discipline you know that i did that with with cycling at the beginning you know i just cycled lands into john O'Groats really slowly it took me 25 days you know that which is everyone will know is pretty slow. The record's 44 hours on a traditional bike. Wow. And, uh, and I, I fell in love with cycling. And it, in, in the meantime, it also gave me, gave me some base fitness. And then once you've got that base fitness and you've gone for runs and you've, you know, you've convinced your mates to go to run down to the pub and have half pint and run back or whatever, then you can start working. You know, once you've got that base fitness, you can then start thinking about more technical stuff. You know, you don't have to go buy up, buy crazy trainers and, things like that. And, and then, and then from there, you just decide your goals, you know, you, once you, you love it and you've enjoyed it and you can feel, feel you're getting fitter. That's the exciting bit. Then you choose your goals and your goal might be a marathon. Your goal might be a a double marathon, the UTMB, West Highland way, whatever you want to do, choose your goal. And then you can start focusing. Then you've got to think, right, I need, I need to get my, my, my technique, my style, my nutrition. I always, there's sort of, five elements I always look at for performance. If, if you're wanting to push the big miles, you know, first there's, is food. Uh, you know, you need to eat the right food, hydration, you need to drink the right stuff and get the, the right amount of electrolytes in you, which you'll get from food as well. Uh, sleep, you know, sleep's very important in working out, you know, too much sleep or too little sleep. You know, you need to look at that. Then you need muscle management. That's also very important. Things like stretching, massage, ice baths, you know, physio, acupuncture, whatever, whatever you need, you need to look into muscle management. Uh, and the fifth thing, which is probably the most important, but it's the one I only added to the list quite recently. It's it's motivation. You know, you've got to find out what's motivating you and and put things in place to motivate you, whether it's raising money for charity or committing to something you've told all your friends about. You know, it's the first thing I do when I have an idea is I tell all my mates so that if I don't do it, they give me, you know, they give me grief for it, you know. So those five things, food, water, sleep, muscle management, motivation. Are there any things within those five that you've discovered 
fairly recently that you weren't using before that now you just think, fuck, this is amazing. I wish I'd have found this earlier. I always looked at all of them, but I probably didn't focus on each of them or realize how important having all five together are. Uh, you know, you can, if you have one, if you're doing a long race, if I'm going, you know, route 66 bike race, you know, if I'd had one of those things at, at suboptimal, uh, you know, I, I'm dropping miles. So you can have great motivation, great muscle management, great sleep, great hydration. But if you've got no food, you know, you game over. You can have everything. If you, you know, don't have motivation, you, you know, you, you, you're going to lose or, or not complete your goal. Motivation is the one that gets a little bit harder sometimes, which is why I'm, my next adventure is, is trying to be the fastest. You know, I've, I've done furthests and firsts for the last uh, couple of years which is great, but I've kind of, I found not having competition was, I was losing the motivation, truthfully. You know, when you do firsts, no one else has done it before. So actually, you know, you've, you've got no one to race against. I've realized I quite like chasing people. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so it seems natural to thrive off that. We're just sort of wired for competition and I think especially yeah. blokes. Yeah. And I, I, it gives me a reason to get out of bed at six in the morning if I know that there's someone else racing me, you know, getting out of bed at 5.30. Um, so uh, I've, I've now got my motivation back, which which I was probably, you know, sort of at the end of last year, I was kind of sitting here in, in my underpants pretending to be Hemingway in my wood in, in, uh, in Cumbria going like, oh, you know, what, what, I don't know if I want to do another first or furthest, because furthest also have no time limit on them. You just go further, really, other than a self-imposed time limit. And that's why I came up with my next challenge, which is the fastest one, which I kind of, it's now given me the motivation again. So find your motivation, everyone, whatever it is, write it down, put it on a post-it note next to your bed. So just to just to backpedal a little bit, um, go, looking into your into all the adventures that you've done, are there, is there one that you look back at that you're that you're most proud of? Can you tell us the story of the one that you think, yeah, I'm so glad I did that? Oh, that's an easy one. You know, that's when I swam the length of Britain in 2013. You know, that was the first that many many people, including myself, probably subconsciously thought was probably actually impossible. But I was just going to wing it anyway. You know, I was just going to have a crack. Um, you know, and that's the one that gave, you know, on completion gave me the, the confidence now to kind of go off and, and do more stuff, you know? And yeah, so that, that was, that was tough. You know, that was the toughest four and a half months, uh, I'll ever have. I think, you know, swimming in cold water every day is, is pretty miserable. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> you know, swim, uh, cycling and running, you at least kind of meet people and, and you, the scenery changes a little bit. And, you know, with cycling, you've got the downhills running, you can kind of stop and sit on a stone wall and enjoy the scenery. Whereas with swimming, you stop, you get cold all around. It's pretty miserable. So, but competing that, finishing that gave me the the confidence I, I kind of was looking for in my ability to go off and carry on doing more stuff, you know? Yeah. It's sort of, you just become carved into a new person after doing something difficult i mean i don't ha i've never done anything on that scale four and a half months in freezing sea just swimming every single day that seems like a, a good way it. to carve out some don't resilience sean it's awful i'd love someone to try and do it because i can help you if anyone is listening wants to swim the length of britain i'll tell you you can probably do it in three months i'll help you do it so uh, drop me an email all right fuck it i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> 
So is, is there anything that you miss about that experience? Like it was, I'm sure it's incredibly tough, but do you look back and just think, actually, that was brilliant? You know, I, I loved the sort of how just like bold me and the crew were, you know, we were just kind of doing stuff that now I probably wouldn't even consider doing because we were just so hungry. We had so much motivation back then. I miss having that level of motivation, which I've got again now for my new one, but I haven't had it since then, if I'm, if I'm honest. You know, like deciding to swim from Wales to Ireland because it seemed like a good idea. You know, that sort of just maverick way of adventuring when no one was really watching it. Yeah, I mean, the media picked up on it nearer the end. But there's certainly, you know, I think I only had a thousand Twitter followers back then. And, you know, that, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked that we could just go off and do these things. You know, now if I try to swim from Wales to to, to Ireland, geez, I, I don't know who would come out and try and stop me with their boat. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> back then I could kind of get away with it. And I kind of enjoyed that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And then in all your adventures, what was the moment where you were most close to thinking I'm really fucked here like I'm not going to make it out ah there's been loads there's been loads on the swim quite a few times on the big swim when I swam Britain getting stuck in back eddies being in the middle of the Irish Sea being you know caught up in storms in Scotland when I did the triathlon I got got sucked out to sea as well on the on the swim and there was deep loads of fog so I didn't know where land was I was just kind of winging it uh, in America, when I cycled around the world, I got run over and suffered a fractured spine and whiplash and concussion. I thought I was going to get mugged in South America on the bike in the middle of the desert. Oh, there's loads. Yeah, all over the place, you know. Um, uh, running, running, not so much. Oh, no, running, injury. I'm just not a good runner, uh, as it turns out, and uh, I just get injured. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's many times where I've just been stuck. In a, I got stuck in a bog actually in Scotland when I was running along and my right leg went right thigh deep into this like quicksand bog and I was trying to pull myself out but there's just tufts of grass that were just breaking off and I remember thinking if 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 I get stuck here there's no one knows I'm here <laughs> absolutely no one knows and yeah so yeah it happens all the time but you know what you we're all pretty resilient you know we're all clever you find ways of, of dealing with it and coping as long as you have the motivation. You know, you find the motivation and that generally gives you gives you an extra sort of bit of power to, to carry on, you know? Yeah. And it seems like when you, just from what you've said, when you do something a bit more audacious or something that people think is impossible, that gives you the extra motivation that you need, just the fact that people think that you can't do it. Yeah, it's great. It, all, it kind of snowball effects, you know, the more the more hardship you go through, you know, in your challenges, the more you realize you ha what you can deal with, you know, if you go and run a marathon, you know, you might do it in five hours and, you know, you'll be sore and you might cry and you're going to say, I'm never doing that again. But six months later, when the entry, you know, for the, when the London marathon ballot box comes around, you go, Ooh, maybe I can do it in four and a half. <laughs> you, you realized you survived and you didn't die. And you can go off and, and do it again and, and you see it all the time and it's great. You kind of forget the bad bits because the rewards are so much better. 
We've touched on it a little bit. You mentioned how sometimes your motivation has dwindled a little bit, but when you've had the bigger adventures, it's easy to just keep that fire in your belly. But I think a lot of people look at you as the the adventure man who's built this incredible life and he's got a great social media following. And it just seems like you've ticked all the boxes. Do you feel like selling your photography business, going from cutting 12,000 cabbages a day to selling your photography business for a pound and now you've transitioned it and it seems like you you're sort of winning do you feel like do you feel like it's enough the the life that you've built now oh yeah i love it i I don't my physical goals in life are huge my mental and physical goals are are, you know for me i for me they're huge and there i always try and do stuff where there's a quite a large element of uncertainty uh about it but everything else in my life, I, I, I'm really not that ambitious in having a big house. I actually don't even believe in buying houses. I, 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 I rent. I rent a little two-bedroom flat. I don't believe in buying loads of fancy clothes, and you know, I'm not super ambitious that way. I just like to lead a simple life, and and I'll you know have a family one day, and be you know if I can find a little cabin in the woods, and you know, that's ideal for me. So I yeah, right now I think you know I, I'm quite proud actually, if I'm honest of the fact that I have managed to change my life around in in one way and that's simply happiness it's simply happiness and and I used to I don't do it anymore but some people used to you get a little like piece of paper and you divide your months up or whatever at the end of each day before you go to bed rate your overall happiness from one to ten and just write it in the box uh, and after a month you know look back on it or after two months and, you know, if your happiness level is sort of around three, four, five, you know, just work out what's making you unhappy and try and see if you can change it. And for me in my old life, I was just doing my day to day existence made me unhappy. I just wasn't I wasn't doing any sport. I wasn't spending our time, any time outdoors. I wasn't doing any of the things that actually I knew would make me happy. You know, being fit, being fit, being active, eating healthily. You know, those are your core core bits of happiness, I truly believe, and spending time outdoors, you know. Where where am I going from here? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have another midlife crisis I worked out at 47 and a half when my, <laughs> ideas, my ideas outweigh my physical ability. And then 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 who knows? <laughs> in, but, in some ways, maybe it makes it more exciting. exciting. It's just like the fact that we don't live forever. It's sort of more special because you know you're going to die one day. Whereas if you could just keep going forever, then it's not, it, it takes away a little bit of the, the magic. Yeah. I mean, I, I already know I'm going to be totally unprepared for aging. Um, so at the moment, ignorance is, is what's getting me through it. I'm just think I'm going to just be like this forever. But you know what? I'll, I'll make another plan. I've made plans before when things haven't worked out or, or life changes. And if I've learned one thing from the last five years is, is resilience and you know we're all pretty good at making a plan pretty much and and getting on with it so who knows what i'll end up doing mountain rescue i reckon i reckon that's where i'll end up that sounds amazing see you there cool way to to see out my my sort of later years in life um getting involved with things like mountain rescue and rnli and uh and stuff like that so um yeah that's how i I, I see it panning out, but who knows? It was it was really interesting what you were saying then about you you just focused a lot on on happiness, and I think in the UK there's just this obsession with owning your house, uh, owning your own house, not renting, and people think that it's sacrilege to to say otherwise. But it's such an incredibly 
big ordeal to work to get enough money for a deposit and then to be chained to a mortgage for the rest of your life. And and the fact that you said you much more focused on happiness um, really, really struck home with me and something I think the reason why I started this podcast after you just fall into a life and then after a while just think, shit, what am I doing? Is this, is this, am I doing the right things to make me happy? And we we don't really spend much time auditing our life, even though it's sort of the most important thing we can do to stop and just think, am I doing the right thing? Do I know what's going to make me happy? And it's really difficult to, to try and find out what that is, right? You don't just sort of wake up and most, there are a few people who think, I just want to be a doctor. I just want to be whatever. But a lot of people are sort of in the middle. They don't really know what they want to to do or what will make them happy. And then they don't go and do those things. And it's it's crazy. I saw a fantastic TED talk by a guy called Sean Aker. He's a researcher uh, from one of the prestigious universities in America. And he talks exactly about how success follows happiness and not the other way around. So we think that we have to achieve all these big milestones to stand out, to be different, to prove ourselves to be worthwhile. And then we'll be happy because we've got this status and money and all, all of that kind of thing that goes along with it. But in fact, they found that if you're happy first, it makes you, like you were saying, a lot more resilient, it makes you more creative, more abil- your greater ability to deal with setbacks. And then that ends up making you more successful. So it's it's really interesting to see how that's, that paradigm has shifted the opposite way around. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, even that, though, that someone's saying, you know, success is the goal then, you know. But actually, if you're happy, you don't need to be successful. Like, there's no point. Like, you're already happy. So, what, you know, what? not everyone needs to go and do, you know, or be successful in, in, in inverted commas, um, I guess. Uh, you know, some people, you know, they find happiness in, in having the mortgage and having the security that makes them unhappy. Uh, make, sorry, makes them happy because not having that security would make them stressed out and unhappy. And, and I can appreciate that. That's absolutely fine. You know, it, each to their own, really. The difficulty sometimes is people think that, oh, well, I'm just going to quit my job and go traveling and, and just do nothing and be a bit lazy uh, because, oh, no, I, you know, I, I love I love to I just want to go and ride horses. So I'm going to buy a horse and go and you know ride around the world or something. I don't know. Um, but I, I still think you will you will it'll be short term, the happiness by just going off and doing something because it makes you feel feel excited. There's a big difference between just going off and feeling excited versus true like deep happiness, you know, and I think you get the deep happiness and this is not my words. This is, you know, there's many philosophers and have, have worked this out way before me, but is to find purpose. People throw it around a lot. You know, I, I want purpose and that sort of thing. But I, I think people think, Oh, well, I, I need to be the best. I need to go off and, you know, be the best and, you know, be successful if I'm going to have purpose, you know, you don't have to be, you know, my my mum's a great example. She found her purpose in caring for the elderly, and and it's really amazing to see. You know, she and she just helps old people in their home, getting in and out of baths. You know, helping them cook dinner. She's not starting a huge charity and you know changing millions of people's lives. Like you know, some people would think, oh, that's what I need to do. All she's doing is she's going out and she's making that one old lady in Gloucestershire have a better day uh, at the end of her life when she needs it the most. And that's given my mum, you know, pretty amazing purpose and happiness. And it's great. You know, I love it. All these people who you think have 
are, are successful in, in various ways online. But you realize you don't you forget that actually that they've probably spent 10, 15 years getting there. There's a famous saying, it says it, it, it takes decades to create an overnight success. <laughs> Which is true, you know, you often we're just we look at the last 50 posts of someone in you know in inverted commas successful and go oh wow they've they've got it so easy they've got this but you you don't actually realize everything behind but um you know this is all quite deep stuff there's actually way more clever and intellectual people than me to talk about it but uh, if i do say one thing is if you are a little bit unhappy there's no point in doing something you hate just on this planet there's no point you only get one shot on this rock you might as well do something you like and you know first of all eat healthily spend more time outside and get fitter those three things once work on those first if you don't know what to do and other stuff will fall into place i I think that's great and uh if i can just add my two cents into that as well there's um we don't always know what's going to make us happy. So just like you mentioned before, find out what you're good at and then try and find something that that is in some ways meaningful or purposeful. So helping others is, is a great way to do it. But I think too simplistic again, effective altruism movement who talk about actually you can probably do a lot more good as an investment banker in terms of just earning shitloads of money, donating a lot of it, even if it's 10%, it's still a load of cash. You can do a lot more good because you can afford to employ 10, 20, 30 people to work for a charity. Whereas if you just go there yourself, then you're just one person. And if that's what you want to do, if you're happy as, as a banker or somebody working in the city, that doesn't automatically make you a bad person. You can still live a very purposeful and good life but 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 that might not be for you either my mum is the same as your example Sean and she's a nurse and she she loves it and she doesn't have these big ambitions and that's absolutely fine I think the problem is just where you don't stop to consider what works for you you just sort of go with the flow because you're being taken along by a busy life yeah no exactly you know everyone eats to themselves the whole world can't work for a charity you do need people who are excited about being accountants and investment banking and as long as your happiness doesn't you know piss on anyone else's fire you know it's, it's not it's not good driving through puddles and splashing people that might make you happy but that's making someone else wet so that's not cool you know so, <laughs> um, that should be on a poster with your yeah, face Sean. <laughs> so, you know, each to their own i'm not going to judge anyone for doing what makes them happy it can be investment banking as you said whatever it is as long as what you're doing that makes you happy doesn't make someone else unhappy. So we're on the very much home straight now. Just two very quick closing questions that I ask everybody. The the show is called We Need More Heroes. Who are some of your heroes or or people that you've looked to for inspiration? I guess if I had to choose one, it's a guy called Tommy Godwin. In 1939, broke the record for cycling the most number of miles in a calendar year. He did 75,000 miles in a a calendar year, which is pretty incredible for 1939. Outrageous. Uh, uh, and a penny farthing as well. Well, no, he was, yeah, <laughs> not quite, but, uh, you know, not far off. And you know what's even more amazing? Right now, that record is being broken by a, a girl called Amanda Cocker, and she would have done 76, maybe, more thousand miles this year, uh, which is pretty incredible. You know, Amanda, well done. You know, but it gets loads. Like I, when I got into knife making, thinking my knife was the best knife in the world, I then went on to Instagram and found you know, a 20 year old kid in his shed in in Yorkshire making these incredible Damascus steel mahogany bladed knives, which I was like, wow, you know, there's, I don't know, I am going to blame my tools on this one, but (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, there's people like that, you know, people who, who've gone off and done amazing things with piano and guitar and whatever, you know, I, I kind of inspired by anyone who's just gone off and decided to, to try and, you know, have a crack at something they enjoy. So the, la- the last question is um, just sort of on that vein. Do you, do you think that heroes are born or made? Is it nature or nurture? Definitely not born. No chance. No way, man. We're all heroes in our own special way. You know, you don't have to go off and, and do a crazy thing. You know, you're a hero in your own family, you know, if you, you know, doing whatever you do. And you, know, you don't have to shout about it. You don't have to wear the cape and the Spider-Man suit and all that jazz. You know, you can, I, I quite like heroes who just go off and do things on their own and make a difference without shouting about it, which is, which is kind of cool. And so I think we all have, we're all heroes, actually. Just sometimes some people need a bit of an extra encouragement, you know, to, to, to go off and do it. And hopefully if I can help in any way, that's why I bust my ass uh, constantly, but I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what this show is about. It's not just about being the best, the fastest or the biggest. And you did a way better job of articulating it than I can. So let's let's hold it there. Sean, thank you so much. And uh, for people that want to check out a little bit more about you and uh, and what you're up to, where's the best place for them to find you online? I'm going to go Instagram. Let's go with Instagram for today. Quite like Instagram is my favorite channel. I'm platform so at conway underscore sean find me on instagram and um yeah send me send me your messages of what you up to i'd love to follow anyone who's doing cool stuff send me a message i'd, I'd love to keep and keep in touch with you amazing the powerful sean conway thank you very much thanks mate cheers See you, buddy. there we have it i hope you enjoyed this one if you did spread the love and share it with anyone you think would also benefit from it by sharing it on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag WeNeedMoreHeroes. Connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at WeNeedMoreHeroes and just more underscore heroes on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and in fact any of our other episodes. So get in touch at WeNeedMoreHeroes.co. Thanks so much for tuning in and sharing the love. And thank you again to today's sponsors, Cotswolds Outdoor, Cross Bikes, Garmin and Cumulus for making this show happen. You've heard the magic, now do something with it and be the hero in your own story.